any deadly curse. His massive arms are wrapped around you, protecting you. You can run under his covering of majesty and hide. His arms of faithfulness are a shield, keeping you from harm. You will never worry about an attack of demonic forces at night, nor have to fear a spirit of darkness coming against you. Don't fear a thing. Whether by day or by night, demonic danger will not trouble you, nor will the powers of evil be launched against you. Even in a time of disaster with thousands and thousands being killed, you will remain unscathed and unharmed. You will be a spectator as the wicked perish in judgment, for they will be paid back for what they have done. When we live our lives within the shadow of God Most High, our secret hiding place, we will always be shielded from harm. How then could evil prevail against us or disease infect us? God sends angels with special orders to protect you wherever you go, defending you from all harm. If you walk into a trap, they'll be there for you and keep you from stumbling. You'll even walk unharmed among the fiercest powers of darkness, trampling every one of them beneath your feet. For here is what the Lord has spoken to me. Because you loved me, delighted in me, and have been loyal to my name, I will greatly protect you. I will answer your cry for help every time you pray, and you will feel my presence in your time of trouble. I will deliver you and bring you honor. I will satisfy you with a full life and with all that I do for you, for you will enjoy the fullness of my salvation. When you abide under the shadow of Shaddai, you are hidden in the strength of God Most High. He's the hope that holds me in the stronghold to shelter me, the only God for me and my great confidence. He will rescue you from every hidden trap of the enemy. He will protect you from false accusation and any deadly curse. His massive arms are wrapped around you, protecting you. You can run under his covering of majesty and hide. His arms of faithfulness are a shield, keeping you from harm. You will never worry about an attack of demonic forces at night, nor have to fear a spirit of darkness coming against you. Don't fear a thing. Whether by day or by night, demonic danger will not trouble you, nor will the powers of evil be launched against you. Even in a time of disaster with thousands and thousands being killed, you will remain unscathed and unharmed. You will be a spectator as the wicked perish in judgment, for they will be paid back for what they have done. When we live our lives within the shadow of God Most High, our secret hiding place, we will always be shielded from harm. How then could evil prevail against us or disease infect us? God sends angels with special orders to protect you wherever you go, defending you from all harm. If you walk into a trap, they'll be there for you and keep you from stumbling. You'll even walk unharmed among the fiercest powers of darkness, trampling every one of them beneath your feet. For here is what the Lord has spoken to me. Because you loved me, delighted in me, and have been loyal to my name, I will greatly protect you. I will answer your cry for help every time you pray, and you will feel my presence in your time of trouble. I will deliver you and bring you honor. I will satisfy you with a life and with all that I do for you, for you will enjoy the fullness of my salvation. When you abide under the shadow of Shaddai, you are hidden in the strength of God Most High. He's the hope that holds me in the stronghold to shelter me, the only God for me and my great confidence. 
He will rescue you from every hidden trap of the enemy. He will protect you from false accusation and any deadly curse. His massive arms are wrapped around you, protecting you. You can run under his covering of majesty and hide. His arms of faithfulness are a shield, keeping you from harm. You will never worry about an attack of demonic forces at night, nor have to fear a darkness coming against you. Don't fear a thing. Whether by day or by night, demonic danger will not trouble you, nor will the powers of evil be launched against you. Even in a time of disaster with thousands and thousands being killed, you will remain unscathed and unharmed. You will be a spectator as the wicked perish in judgment be paid back for what they have done when we live our lives within the shadow of god most high our secret hiding place we will always be shielded from harm how then could evil prevail against us or disease infect us god sends angels with special orders to protect you wherever you go defending you from all harm if you walk into a trap they'll be there for you and keep you from stumbling you'll even walk unharmed among the fiercest powers of darkness trampling every one of them beneath your feet for here is what the Lord has spoken to me. Because you loved me, delighted in me, and have been loyal to my name, I will greatly protect you. I will answer your cry for help every time you pray, and you will feel my presence in your time of trouble. I will deliver you and bring you honor. I will satisfy you with a full life and with all that I do for you, for you will enjoy the fullness of my salvation. When you abide under the shadow of Shaddai, you are hidden in the strength of God Most High. He's the hope that holds me in the stronghold to shelter me, the only God for me and my great confidence. He will rescue you from every hidden trap of the enemy. He will protect you from false accusation and any deadly curse. His massive arms are wrapped around you, protecting you. You can run under his covering of majesty and hide. His arms of faithfulness are a shield, keeping you from harm. You will never worry about an attack of demonic forces at night, nor have to fear a spirit of darkness coming against you. Don't fear a thing. Whether by day or by night, demonic danger will not trouble you, nor will the powers of evil be launched against you. Even in a time of disaster with thousands and thousands being killed, you will remain unscathed and unharmed. You will be a spectator. everybody. I want to welcome you to Victory Christian Fellowship. Thank you for being here. For those of you that are watching, we just say welcome to you. It's a great day in the Lord. Amen. Any day with the Lord is a great day. Hallelujah. Father, we're so grateful and thankful for your goodness and your hand upon us. Lord, we just welcome your presence here in this place. And we honor you, Lord Jesus. We magnify you. You have the greatest name in all the universe. We praise you with all of our heart. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's worship the Lord together. Are you ready to worship Almighty God this morning?
I have brought you out of darkness and into my light. And my light in you is getting brighter and brighter as the noonday sun. Walk in my light, live in my light, and spread my light. Oh, hallelujah. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Amen. Amen. Well, you may have your seats. We're so glad that you're here. It's a wonderful day. Hallelujah. Glory to God. 
Well, if you're visiting here at uh, VCF for the first time, we just want to welcome you. And uh, one of the things that we like to do here is speak the word. Amen? Amen. Aren't you glad that Jesus gave us the authority yes. to speak the word yes. and to get his results? Amen. So we want to invite all of you to join us as we make a confession of faith. It's, it's about harvesting. You know, you all are harvesters. Amen. So this uh, confession, uh, we want you to join, uh, join in as we make this confession of faith based on God's word. Let's make our confession. God's kingdom operates on the principle of seed time and harvest. Seeds are powerful tools that bring increase and produce harvests. God has empowered us to be fruitful and multiply. Our God is good to us, and his blessing causes the earth to yield its harvest for us. We purposely plant our seed in good ground, and it grows, ripens, and we reap its return. We know the condition of our assets and pay close attention to our finances so that our family is well taken care of and we are able to help others. We work in God's kingdom. We receive wages and gather fruit for eternal life. We rejoice when we plant and when we reap. Our seeds begin to increase greatly the moment they are planted. We reap abundantly because we sow generously. We cheerfully and freely give to God's work and kingdom. God makes every favor and earthly blessing come to us, and we have more than enough to do what God wants and give to others. We are sowers, and the Lord gives us seed and meets our needs, according to his riches in Christ. He multiplies our resources and increases our righteousness, so we are enriched in every way. We walk worthy of the Lord and please Him in all things. We are fruitful, producing abundant harvests in every good work and steadily growing in the knowledge of God. Our faith is strong, our insight is clear, and our love is strong for God's Word. At Victory, our vision is to reach out beyond our walls with the message of salvation, hope, and inheritance, to proclaim the uncompromising Word of God, to build a strong body of believers, and to encourage relationships in a loving atmosphere. We activate God's Word to go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. At Victory Christian Fellowship, we are inheriting God's promises and experiencing their benefits. Amen. Good morning. It's so good to see all of you here today. I welcome you, and I have a scripture for you. See this shirt? One of our youth made this, and it reminded me of cascading light. And if you have not read Psalm 36 in the message, you're going to be jumping out of your seat. So are you ready? <laughs> you don't believe me. You're going to jump out of your seats. Here we go. Ready? Psalm 36, 7 through 9. How exquisite your love, O God. How eager we are to run under your wings, to eat our fill at the banquet you spread as you fill our tankards with Eden 
spring water. You are a fountain of cascading light, and you open our eyes to light. Hallelujah! Woo! Oh, one thing I learned is putting action to the Word of God. It doesn't matter what you think. It doesn't matter what you feel. Put some action to it. So that's why I said you would be jumping out of your seat. Maybe you wiggled your toes or tapped your feet. But put action to it and you will see greater increase of the life and the power of God's word in you. Woo! I was not like this before I got this revelation. I'm telling you, some of you think I've always been this way. I was not born this way naturally. But when I got born in the true light of God, not the religious form of God, the form of godliness with no power, mm -mm. I was quiet as a mouse. I was bound with those chains that fell off. I was in prison. I was, I was hopeless. But my name means hope. And God knew I needed a name named hope. So I clung to that. I'm telling you, that's all I had. Hope. And I cried out that God would send me someone who would show me in the flesh what it meant to have the life of God. I loved Jesus, but I didn't have his power. I didn't have his joy, his peace, his life. And he sent me to this place that I drove past for years. And I followed Pastor Fiona around like a shadow. Wherever she was, I was listening. Because she was my answer to prayer. She was the living flesh. You can listen to people on the radio and you can learn. But there's something about seeing it demonstrated right in your face. Yes. The first whole, the whole year, my first whole year here, I cried through every sermon. I cried through every worship because of my gratefulness for the freedom that God brought me to. So I encourage you with that. That's. The introduction to the announcements. <laughs> and it all came from a shirt that one of the youth made last week when we did tie-dye. So, talking about the youth, I love our youth. And I know you do too. We are grateful to you for supporting our youth in more ways than one. And so we want you to know we appreciate you. And thank you for being part of our youth family and of our church family. We really do appreciate you. And we have youth that are hungry for God. They are ready to explode with the gifts that God has given them. And they are very receptive to instruction, which is a huge gift. And so I thank you, Pastor Doug and Pastor Fiona, because you have trained us in that. And so I honor you for that because... I think about it's because it's a flowing down from the head to the feet. And so our youth are so blessed, and they are blessing. And I just am so grateful that I get to be part of being youth. <laughs> you know, God says he restores our souls, so he's restoring my youth, and this is wonderful. Okay, thank you for listening to me. I will give you our announcements. On Tuesday, we have youth group, which is Air Force. Yes. 
6 o'clock, 6 to 8, we have our ongoing fundraisers. We are so excited as we are approaching closer and closer to going to Rayma 50 Years Camp Meeting. Yes. And then we get to see Gabe and Sean. Woo! And actually, Kelsey is going to stay because she is attending Rayma. So when we go to camp meeting, she's going with us, and then she's going to stay. So that's pretty cool. We're part of her, her, uh, what's it called? We're, we're part of her. We're taking, helping take her there. We're giving her some of our luggage space and all that stuff. Okay. And then Wednesday night refreshing. It truly is a night of refreshing. It happens every week on Wednesday, 6.30. So make it work in your schedule and come and be refreshed. And then we have available Pastor Fiona's new book, Self-Talk Devotional. Maybe it's up there. It's in the bookstore. It's online on Amazon. So you would want to get a hold of this revelation that God gave her, and she put it in a book for us. So let's participate in that. Get This would be great for you to put in your Easter baskets. I know a lot of you make them or Easter gifts. Put it in there with the candy. Because this will transform families, which we learned yesterday at the Woven Conference. It will transform our communities and our world. And then today, after service, we are having our community egg hunt. God bless you. We we call that announcements that preach. Hallelujah. And uh, be sure that you check out uh, Dr. Michael uh, Jacobs' uh, book table in the back there. And uh, whatever he has on the table there, that's what he has. But we'll be getting some more of his books on uh, angels. And um, before we dismiss the uh, kids and uh, introduce our guest here, I just wanted to share something with you from Deuteronomy chapter 8. And uh, I was meditating on this the past couple days. And... Uh, I'm just going to pick out a few different uh, verses of this chapter. Uh, we'll look at verse 1. And uh, it says, Every commandment that I am commanding you today, you should be careful to do. God wants us to do His Word. All right? So that you may live and multiply, go in and possess the land which the Lord your God uh swore to give to your fathers. So he wants us to go in, possess, and multiply. You know, God's in the multiplication business. Okay? Verse 2, he said, You shall remember always uh, the ways which the Lord your God uh, led you these 40 years in the wilderness. You know, if he can lead you through the wilderness, he can lead you through good times. Amen? And uh, that he might humble you to test you to know what was in your heart. And um, then he says uh, in verse 11, he said, uh, Beware that you do not forget the Lord your God by failing to keep his commandments, judgments, and his statutes. His commandments is his word, which is Jesus. His judgments are his decisions, which is the Father God. And his statutes are his examples or uh, precedents or patterns, which is the Holy Spirit. He's our day-to-day 
activity. But then he said, don't forget the Lord. How could you forget the Lord when you take your time, talents, and treasure and give it to something else other than God? When you, when you stop doing what God wants and do something that someone else wants above what God wants, you're forgetting God. And you leave God behind. And he says, don't forget the Lord your God. Amen? And uh, we don't want to forget him because it was his will from the very beginning for us to multiply, to increase. The first words that man heard was the blessing, which say multiply, increase, take dominion, uh, replenish the earth. Amen? And subdue it. And that was the first words that man heard. And then down in uh, verse uh, 17, we're going to read verse 17 and 18, then I'm, I'm done with this. He said, uh, otherwise you may say in your heart, my power and strength of my hand made me this wealth. You know, whenever we accumulate wealth, we got to know the source. God gave you the energy. He gave you the brain power. He gave you the skill that you have to make the money. Amen. And then he says this. He says, you shall remember the Lord your God. It is for it is he who is giving you the power to get wealth. I want you to say that with me. Say, God is giving me the power to get wealth. Hallelujah. And all he wants us to do is honor him. Amen. So today, you know, you have an opportunity to invest in the kingdom of God. And he produces the greatest return out of any investment company on the planet over history. Amen. God's never been... uh, overextended. Why? He's a God that has more than enough and too much. So in your giving today, number one, we're here to bless people. So you have an opportunity to sow into a ministry. If you want to give today to uh, Dr. Jacobs' designated guest, make a check out to VCF. You can use a card in our bookstore. If you're watching online, you can give through our website that way and designate guest. And then we will take that and add to it and give it to him. Amen. And then if you want to give to the church, you don't have to designate anything. But if you want to give to the guests, please designate it so that we know. Amen. Hallelujah. We serve a good God. And Father, I give you thanks. And you can give any time during the service. We have a wooden container there and a wooden container. We call those our seed planters. You can put your seed in there or you can do it through the card or the bookstore or however you want to do it. And Father, I give you thanks and praise for the givers and their gifts, Lord, that they have brought to the kingdom. And I thank you, Lord, that your blessing is upon them, your empowerment is upon them, and you give them the power to get wealth. And you return their investment, Father, abundantly in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. And I'm going to introduce our guests and then I'm going to dismiss the kids. The toddlers, Jesus' toddlers today. All right. And uh, we are so honored and uh, privileged to have uh, Dr. Michael Jacobs with us and uh, his assistant, Sean, with him. And uh, he is the founding pastor of Church on the Rock in New Albany, Indiana. And he has been in the ministry since 1976. Praise the Lord. Along with authoring several books, he also serves as a board member of the Dufresne Ministries Fresh Oil Fellowship. Uh, he's a pastor to pastors. Dr. Jacobs has ministered in more than 115 mission trips in 17 nations, and he travels extensively throughout the United States. Physical healings and deliverances are evident in his meetings. 
as he ministers with a tangible anointing that helps restore, repair, and rescue. Amen? So if you need to be restored, repaired, or rescued today, you are in the right place. Hallelujah. And it has been such an honor to get to know him and uh, to fellowship with him. And we just so appreciate this gift that God has brought us. Amen? Are you excited today? All right, we're going to dismiss the toddlers today. So if the toddlers want to go to their class, be blessed. Let's give a woo-woo for our kids. You know, the reason we cheer for our kids is we want them to let them know that church is exciting. I mean, you're not in a dry, dead place. You're in a place of the living God where the anointing flows like a river. Amen? And the power of God is present to do what it needs to do. So I want you to give a warm BCF welcome as we bring our special guest, Dr. Michael Jacobs, up. Hallelujah. That's all right. He's putting fuel in his tank, so he's ready to go. Doug. Wow, thank you, Pastor Doug. Well, this has been a great time for me to be with you. And, you know, I just want to I thank Fiona particularly because she saw me on a live stream. I think I was in California at the time and teaching on angels. And she called me. She'd never met me. I don't, I'd never met any of you ever before. I'd never seen you before. If I did, it was an accident because I don't remember seeing you. You know what I mean. And so I just am very thrilled and honored that I think this is one of the first times somebody called me to speak that saw me on a live stream ever. So I'm just very grateful for that. And I've had a wonderful time with all of you. And I think this lady here ought to lay hands on all of you to get you loosened up right now. You want to come up and lay hands on them? I'm teasing. But, you know, you need somebody like this in your life that will stir you. And if you can't be stirred, you're dead. Now, really, you are. Because I've seen, you, I've seen people at sports events, and they act crazy, much crazier than any Pentecostals I've ever been around. And I've been around them a long time. I've been saved 50 years. I've been in full-time ministry 45. This is my 45th year in ministry, full-time. So, you know, I've seen a lot of things. That I'm just glad to be with you today. I'm kind of teasing you a little, but if you don't respond to me, I'm going to attack you. So just get, get that straight. I want to talk to you a little bit about what I have left over there in the books. This is our book on deliverance. It's kind of a big book, and I left a lot out of it. But I did put a lot in it because God's used me along that line for many since 1978, I haven't got time to really deal with this effectively. We did pray over deliverance. Several people on, I forget whatever night that was, Friday night, I guess, and I have an anointing for deliverance. I never had one until just recently. I just started out just by faith. You know, the Bible says Jesus cast out the spirits with his word. Didn't mention any anointing right there on that. And Luke, I mean, Mark 16 tells us, that's the first thing that every believer should be able to do. I'm talking to you. Yeah, I'm talking to you. Well, I've never cast the devil out. Well, why not? I'm asking the question. So, you know, you just need to think about it. That's the first thing Jesus said that real believers who believed in his name, not any special deal, just believing in his name, no anointing, no anointings mentioned in Mark 16 to do. You can lay hands on the sick, they'll recover, drink any deadly thing, it won't hurt you. But that's the last thing I got to of those five things Jesus said we could do. Speaking new tongues is casting out devils. But I got to it. Thank you for your enthusiasm. You're so overwhelming me by a blank stare. 
I want to read you the preface to this book. This is my book on deliverance. It would help you. Or if you know somebody, I don't know about you, I just know about me. I'm concerned about America and the world, their mental health. And there's a lot of mentally ill people in our churches. They're just not on medication or they're not locked up. But that doesn't mean they don't struggle and they have a lot of issues. And deliverance is not a cure-all. If you're not going to serve God and come to church regularly and read your Bible and worship Him and have a relationship with Jesus, you just keep your devil because that's what you will do. Even if I can get you delivered, which is not hard at all, but you have to walk that out in your own freedom. And it's going to take coming to church. It's going to take Bible reading at home. It's going to take worship at home. You're going to have to cut that TV off if you want to maintain your freedom. If you act like this lady right here, I guarantee you, you'd keep it. So anyway, we this. let me just give you a little bit. I'm just introducing this to you. I'm not teaching on this today. But if you're interested in learning about deliverance, I am not a spooky natural person. I'm a supernatural person. There's nothing spooky about it. And uh, we, we even shared some of the deliverances I've had in my own life at the meetings that you guys missed. So if you're interested, you can go back and listen to the tapes. I'm not going to repeat it. Uh, thank you. Deliverance of Forgotten Ministry. I think that, you know, and I, I read something from the publication, Sean got me off the Internet of Mental Health in America, and they said if your child has problems, you see a pediatrician, you go to counseling, you do this, you do that. Nothing was said about one verse of Scripture, going to your pastor, getting delivered, or having any intelligent way to do that. So that shows me how pathetic the mental health people are as a whole. Now, there are some individuals that know a little bit about God, but normally they don't. So this is a forgotten ministry. That's why I wrote my book, because I want to remind people this is part of what you've inherited, is the ability to cast devils out of people. The second chapter is authority of the believer, and we talk straight strong about that. You have authority over every evil spirit. Not some of them, not most of them. Well, what about no, what? About what? All of them. You either a joint heir with Christ or you're going to hell. Either you're saved, and if you're saved, you're a joint heir with Jesus. I'm trying to make it simple. I wish you'd wake up. I hope you had some coffee today. I'm teasing you a little bit, but I'm kind of gigging you. The origin of the devil and demons, types of demons. We didn't give every listing of the Bible, but we gave several lying spirits, spirits of infirmity, spirits of divination, seducing spirits, spirit of heaviness and depression. We ministered deliverance for that in one of our services. And a spirit of suicide, we also ministered that. Lunatic spirits, antichrist spirits, spirit of whoredom, spirit of the world, spirit of error, and on and on it goes. We have a whole chapter in here on the occult. We have a whole chapter in here, can a believer have a demon? The simple answer is yes. I'm not sure why you would want one. Because the only thing they're geared to do is destroy your life. And let all their buddies in. If you don't get rid of the first one, he just opens the door for others. Demons and disease. A lot of people are sick and they don't get healed just through normal means of healing unless you pray a prayer of deliverance over them. How demons gain entrance. That's a powerful chapter. I listed about 13 things here. Uh, How to stay free. And I thought I was done with this book and the Lord said, you're not done. I said, I'm not. He said, no, I want you to handwrite a chapter on the power of my blood. So that's the last chapter in here. So anyway, praise God. I'm just uh, going to read you the preface here. The purpose of this book is to bring deliverance to those who are being held captive by the devil. 
you can be free from any level of bondage or restriction he has imposed upon you. Nothing can hold you back or limit you if you really desire to be free. Nothing. Think about that. Nothing's holding you bound except yourself. If you're willing to receive it and be humble and receive it from a man that could minister to you, we could help you be free. For those who will be doers of the word and those who are correctly informed, no weapon, plan, or scheme formed by the devil against you shall prosper. Isaiah 54:17. You can be kept and protected by the power of God through your faith in his word, 1 Peter 1, 5. For those who have already been set free, may you begin to set others free who are suffering, that they may enjoy the same freedom you now have. The book you're about to read is a book about victory, truth, and your authority over the devil. I pray this material furthers your understanding of this wonderful subject. And I put the first scripture I listed here that's written out is Luke 10. The 70 returned with joy, saying, Lord, even the devils are subject unto us through thy name. Behold, I give unto you power to tread on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy, and nothing shall by any means hurt you. Nothing. Okay. But don't rejoice that the spirits are subject unto you, but rather rejoice that your names are written in heaven. Anyway, that's a good book. Then our book on impartations. This is a book more about me and my spiritual father who's in heaven now, Dr. Ed Dufresne. And we had a lot of rescues in my life through him for me because God told me to hook up with him. And I'm very thankful for that. I dedicated this book to him. And we deal with a lot of different things here. You know, you, it takes impartations to get you where you need to go. And uh, here's, the, here's the contents. The laying on of hands, impartations through prayer, impartations by the word, in, guarding your fellowship, a spiritual legacy, and things like that. And it's just really important. And I also included not every... Every uh, prophecy I've ever had, but I did include a lot of them, and we put them at the end of each chapter. For example, I was with Dr. Dufresne three times in Russia and Siberia. This was our first trip in Abakan, Russia, which is Siberia. These are, and this is what he spoke to us, just a small group of us in the back room. These are the men that I'll send all over the world with special anointings. Special anointing, special works of God, special acts of God will flow through their ministries. Hallelujah. These are the men of the last days that are anointed by the power of God to do the acts of God, who yield themselves to the acts of God, signs, miracles, and healings. These are the men that will walk in the power of the acts of God and the healings of God. There will be a generation raised up for miracles, signs, and wonders. Who are these men that are moving across this land? And then I want to read you another one that, that the Lord, this was through Dr. Dufresne to me. And then when I went to Kuwait with him, he said, as you've walked in the footsteps of the prophet, he pointed to himself. I was laying on the floor. He'd touched me and I'd fell out, but I was looking at him. He said to me, you'll begin to make your own footsteps as a prophet. The healing anointing that you come in and out of for a while, you went out of it, has come to abide. So then he, then he said that this, this powerful prophecy, you know, if you have people you trust, the prophecies will mean something. Yeah, hand me my water there, Sean, that one right there, please. Thank you so much. Well, I'm ready to get in the Word with you. I uh, hope you won't take that away from my teaching time. <laughs> I mean, this is the first advertisement I've really had for any of my books. I think I had the angel book, and I just showed it to you. And So, anyway, you're welcome.
Now, I want to, now I don't know if you understand, you know, what I'm doing, who I am, but, and, and I wouldn't normally teach this just like to you guys, but I've spent a whole weekend talking to the people who were here about angels. But I'm going to talk to you about personal visions that I've had. Not all of them, but just the more larger ones. And I want to say something about that. First of all, let's go to 2 Corinthians chapter 12 with me. And I don't know if anybody knows this or not, and I don't have to tell you that. If you follow me and you know me and you watch me, you would begin to understand that I'm a prophet. I'm not a pastor, and I'm not, I can teach, but I'm not, that's not my primary office now to teach or pastor and uh, so forth. Anyway, that's the office I walk in, the office of the prophet. And Brother Hagin says prophets have visions and revelations. I'm going to read that in just a minute. I want to give you a little preamble to what I'm going to say, though, because this is important for me to say this. We're talking about supernatural things that, first of all, I never asked to see anything. Ever since I've been born again, I never asked God, Lord, other than I would like to see your power, but I didn't ask to have a vision and be talked to by angels or have angels minister to me or minister with me like they do today. I just walked with God and began to study the subject on angels because I had an interest in them finding out what they were here for. And I found out a lot of them don't even live in heaven. They're right here in the earth with us. We spent an hour teaching that. We haven't got time to teach you. You could either get, you order a book. They're ordering 25 books for the bookstore if you're interested in this subject. I don't know why you wouldn't be. It's not me selling you a book. It's me helping you to understand. You have invisible servants that were created by God, not me, to help you. And I don't know why you'd not want that. That's what I'm saying to everybody. Why you wouldn't want some assistance in this lousy planet we live in. Now, if you're walking with God like I am and others are, perhaps, I don't know how you live every day, but I'm walking with God, and I have heaven on earth because of that, because of the Word in my life and what I'm believing from the Word. You can have the Word but not believe a thing it says, and it won't do you any good. You're still going to have hell on earth. But if you walk with God, there's a heaven on earth can come. But with all the benefits of the redemption, being saved, being delivered, we just sang it, being rescued, uh, there are angels given to you. They belong to you individually, personally. My angels, my wife doesn't own my angels. I don't own her. She's in heaven now. It doesn't matter. But what, that God's given me a personal angel. And then others work with me in my healing ministry and so forth and so on. I haven't got time to repeat everything I've said. But I wanted to say this is a supernatural thing. It's not a spooky natural thing. You know, I feel like sometimes when I start talking about it, people look at me like, are you kidding me? No, I'm not kidding you. You didn't go to hell for lying. I'm not, if I was lying about it, I'd be afraid to tell you. And really, I'm just being honest, when I turn 60, I'm 72 now, if you want to know. Uh, God said, I want you to start sharing more on your visions you've had. And I said, I'd rather not do that. You know, I don't know about you. I talk to God. I hope you do too. And then I listen to him. And sometimes we kind of have it out, but he always wins. I don't know if you're listening or you're snoring or what you're doing. Just wiggle something a little bit. Let me know you're, okay, somebody's alive. The people in the sound booth back there, they're really with me. So, I, and he knew why I was thinking that, but you know, God's kind of funny sometimes. Jesus, he said, well, why not? He already knew the answer. And I said, because I've been persecuted out the wazoo for my stand on the Bible period without any visions. And now you're asking me to share, listen to me carefully, these holy moments that I've had with you and them, which I consider sacred. I consider them very private. 
And you're asking me to stand up in front of people like today. Many of you have never seen before. A few of you I saw in the ladies' meeting, but the rest of you are all new to me. And, and share my heart and share these intimate details that I was privileged to have with you and with the angels of God. And they'll critique me and be misunder- I'll be misunderstood and critiqued and many people won't get it and they'll make fun of me. You want me to do that for you? Yes, I do. It's either that or else. I said, I'd love to do it. <laughs> now, listen to me carefully here. God doesn't bully people, especially those who love him like I do. But he is warning me if I'm not going to do that for him, I'm going to become a primary target for the devil. Why? Because now I'm in disobedience to God. And God didn't have to do anything. I did it all to myself by my rebellion. So... So in answer to all the questions you may have, who is this guy? What's he going to say? Just listen. But I'm telling you, I didn't want to do this because of the things I just explained. And I was married to a wonderful lady. She just went home last year in September for 48 years. And we served God together in the ministry for 44 of those years. And she went home last September. Last August was 44 years for her and I. And, uh, you know, it was just a, a wonderful relationship, but I would never have shared anything personal, intimate with any other human about what my wife and I did in private. That was between me and her and the Lord. That's how I looked at these visions. They're not sexual in nature, but the point I'm making is it was the same principle in my thinking. You want me to get up and tell this in front of people that I don't even know? Yes, I do, because you've had these experiences, Michael, and I trust you. I trust you to be able to tell them what you experienced because they need to know there's other things going on than just what they can see with their natural eyes. So, you know, if you don't have dreams or visions or discerning of spirits, and not everybody will, and again, I didn't ask for those things. They came to me because the Bible says we should desire, listen, spiritual gifts. I didn't say, I want that, I don't want that. I just said, Father, whatever you want to give me, I'll take it. And I'd be happy with whatever you want to do with my life. And he's given me a lot of those gifts of the Spirit operate in me, too. That's nothing to do with what I'm going to say, though, about the angelic visitations. So, anyway, I hope you're listening to me. I'm not a woo-woo person. You know, woo-woo. Some people, every time they have some experience with God, it's woo-hoo-hoo. I sometimes wonder how they fly to find the floor in the morning. I don't know about them mentally. I'm not a woo-woo person. I'm doing my best to be a word person. Do you have emotions? Of course I do. I'm a human being. But I don't let my emotions run me ever. I don't, they're out of the question. And I did that 35 years ago. Made that decision. So I'm a lot more established. And if you like me when I leave, that's fine. If you hate me when I leave, that's fine too. I'm going to take their check and go home. <laughs> Just so you know what I'm thinking. I mean, if they want to give me a check or if they don't, I'll go home happy anyway. It's never been about the money. I don't interpret dreams and weird imagination, so please don't come to me after the service and say, you know, I had this dream. I saw three wild dogs, two evil chickens. I don't know what that means. Forget it. I'll do you a favor. If something doesn't make sense, forget it. Shred it. I'm trying to help you be a normal person, not be a mental person. That's what's wrong with America today. we got mental politicians, mental preachers. 
not spiritual people sometimes. Trying to live out of our brain, and it only takes you so far, and you're going to run into that wall. You're going to have big knots on your head. And if you don't listen to me today, you're going to run back into it and have another knot. And then you don't listen to them, then the next day you're going to, run, you're going to have knots all over your head before you get done. She's getting it. She's laughing. You're not laughing at me, but that's okay. You have all the knots you want. I don't enjoy getting knots on my head. I just like to. I, I wrote in here, if it doesn't make sense, leave it alone. Seems like the weirdest people ask me the weirdest questions. And they look just like you. You know, they, they're real people. Some of them are educated, some not so. Some are handsome, some are not, and whatever. We need to remember this, so this, I'm giving you a verse. You don't need to look it up. Second Corinthians 11.3, which says, We should not let anything take us away from the simplicity that's in Christ. When things are too complicated, I don't want anything to do with that. Because Jesus is not complicated. If he is in your brain, you don't know him yet. <laughs> He's pretty plain spoken. He didn't try to beg me to share this. He said, either that or else, Michael. And I said, okay, I'd love to do it. Okay, Second Corinthians now. I'm starting. It's 11 o'clock on my watch and one on the back wall. Yeah, thank you. Second Corinthians chapter 12, verse 1 through 3. It is not expedient for me, doubtless, to glory. It's Paul writing. I will come to visions, plural, and revelations of the Lord. And that's all I'm saying, that I've had visions. And in this subject particularly, as well as several others, I have revelation of it. I don't just know my Bible on it. I've had experience in it that's been added to what I already knew based on the Word. And this is just a common thing I would say. If you have any experience that you think might be supernatural, not spooky, but supernatural, you better go tell your pastor about it and see if they think you're crazy or you, you just are weirded out. Because God doesn't waste his time visiting people. That, just, that He complicates your life. If you don't understand what he said, there's no point in him doing that. And I don't believe he's a God that wastes time. Okay, so we're going to get into this, but... All I'm saying is this is in the Bible and many other times about visions other than what I'm giving you right here. But he says, I knew a man in Christ above 14 years ago, whether in the body or out of the body, I cannot tell. And when I began talking about these visions, when I was out of my body, which I was in most of those situations, I was still Michael. I was aware I had hands and eyes and ears, and I'm in, but I'm not in my physical body. I'm in a glorified level. But it looked just like I look now. If you see me in heaven someday, and you will, I don't have this flesh on anymore, but you'd recognize me. Okay, just thought I'd help you see. So sometimes you get out of your body through God doing something, puts you in a different dimension or a different level of existence just for a period of time. And he's got to keep your body alive too, which angels help keep my body alive. Every time I left it, they were there to take care of me. Because if the body was out the spirit, the Bible says, James, you're dead. And if you're dead, then you're going to stay dead normally. Because your body will start deteriorating immediately when your heart quits beating and your lungs quit working and your brain shuts down. You're gone. But the angels came and ministered to me while I was out of my body temporarily when I was having the experience with other angels. I'm just trying not complicated, just trying to help you. All right. I never really even thought about it until after I got back in my body. But I saw where Paul was saying this here, and he goes on in verse 3. 
I knew such a man, whether in the body or out of the body, I cannot tell. God knew. So what I'm saying is sometimes if you have a vision like that, you get out of your body, you don't really feel like you're out of your body. I feel just like I feel right now, but I, my body was somewhere where I left it when I came out of it. All right. Now let's go to Acts chapter 2. And can you guys, somebody back there, a lady or a man in the sound booth, pull me up Amplified Bible, Acts 2.17, if you could do that for me in a moment. I'd appreciate it a lot. And we're, They put it on the film for me. Okay. Well, let me see here. Is that the right scripture? Let me read it in the King James first. It shall come to pass, Acts 2.17, it will come to pass in the last days, saith God. And I like to say this kiddingly, but actually not. This is your last days in this planet. You could live another 80, 90 years, maybe if you're really young, but it's your, you're only coming through here one time. Just like I'm 72, I don't have from when I'm 18 now, because I passed that and went by that in 30s, my 40s, my 50s, my 60s, now I'm in my 70s. And I will pour out of my spirit upon all flesh, and your sons and your daughters, they're his sons and daughters, but in the context, they're people that are submitted to somebody over them that's a spiritual father or mother, and in the local church, that would be your pastors. You listen? And then they need a covering, too. I don't know who they're submitted to. I know they're Rhema people, so, and they have a council, a group of men and women they trust, I'm sure, that they share things with that are relevant to know and let them speak into their life too. Said, your sons and daughters shall prophesy and your young men shall see visions. In the Amplified, I don't know if this is the right Amplified or not. Uh, there it is. Thank you. Thank you so much. They shall have gr- divinely gr- granted appearances. That last verse, it says divinely granted appearances for visions. So I'm sharing that verse with you to show you you are not going to have a vision because you want to have one. You're not going to have a vision because you ask to have one. You have a vision if it's divinely granted to you by God. He's the only one that can give you permission. That comes from him. I mean, the devil could appear to you as an angel and tell you something stupid, like divorce your mate and marry somebody else or something strange that's not God at all. You know, God is for families. He's for families staying together. Not tearing them up. So I'm just showing that to you because you say, well, I want to have a vision. Well, I don't know if you want to have one or not after I'm done talking to you about it. You know, see, you know, I'm a big boy now. I'm not a toddler anymore in this thing. I was at one time when I started. I was ignorant and dumb just as everybody is. You don't know anything. All I knew is Jesus. I needed him and he was in me then because I repented. I was a drug dealer and a drug abuser, (laughs) a drug addict. And I just knew I needed Jesus. I lost 80 pounds shooting speed. My mind was blown. Everything else was blown. Had a gun. I mean, I was just a totally lost individual. For three years, I lived like that. And then I got saved. I'm going to talk about my salvation experience because it was in a visionary form that got me saved. I'm going to share that in just a minute, so hold on to your seats. But I wanted to share this with you in Acts, and I'm going to show one more verse to you, but it has to be divinely granted. I didn't ask for it. They just started coming to me. And... uh and that's all I can tell you. You know, if God doesn't grant it, grant it, or if something strange is said, which you think is a person that might look like an angel, but the Bible says even Satan himself can transform himself to look like an angel of light. 
So I don't care who appears to me. I'm going to question them whether they're the real deal or not. And I have in many cases. And if they didn't answer the questions right, I rebuked them. And they left. That's what they're supposed to do when they're demonic because I have authority over them. Not because I'm a prophet, because I'm a believer. Okay, Acts 26. Let's look at this scripture. These are the first three, three scriptures. I've got more scriptures as we get into this, and I hope this is helping you. I'm setting a little foundation for you that I'm not some weirdo. Where's this guy from anywhere? I'm from heaven. What about it? I got born again from heaven. I'm just a real man. I just told you I was a drug addict. What did you think I was not? You know. Chapter 26 of Acts and verse 19. This is Paul saying to King Agrippa, Whereupon, O King Agrippa, I was not disobedient unto the heavenly vision. So when God showed me these visions, initially I thought they were all private for me to learn, and they were private at the moment. And I, in fact, when I first started having them, I hardly shared that with anybody except my first vision. I'm going to talk about that in a minute. But I wanted you to see, if he shows us something, then he deals with you about it. You have to maybe share it. It just depends on your standing in the body of Christ. Because I travel full-time. I'm in 30 or 40 churches a year now, and several foreign countries, like he read. I've been in a lot of different countries over my lifetime. And glad to do it. <laughs> and I've been glad to do it. Okay, I'm going to get started here. We're talking about these divine visitations, divinely granted appearances. When I was young, I was, uh, well, let me think here. I was about two and a half years old. I'm 72. Um, you know, I had my knees started knocking on the inside, rubbing against each other like this, and my knees down here. My mother noticed that. My mother had me, and my real father left after that. And my mom was single then. Uh, and then she remarried a man when I was five, and that's when I got healed. I'm going to talk about that in a second. But she took me to Barney's Children's Hospital in Dayton, Ohio. I'm from Dayton, Fairborn, Ohio, which is close to Dayton, Ohio, in that state. And that's where I was a drug addict at. And then I went to California. I'll talk about that in a minute. But I had these, this knee problem, and so she took me to the doctor, and he put braces on me like Forrest Gump. You remember Forrest Gump? Run, Forrest, run. Run, Michael, run. So they put these braces on me. They got straps up under your thigh, got a bolt at the knee. So at turns, got shoes built in in the bottom with a screw to hold them there. And you strap them on, you just wear them. And he said, I want him to wear them 24-7 unless he takes a bath, take them off, let him bathe. But other than that, keep them on him. So she did that for two and a half years. And my mother ended up marrying this man named Jack Jacobs, a wonderful stepfather to me. That's why I changed my name, because I respected him. Uh, it wasn't my birth name. doesn't matter what my birth name was right now. My name's Michael Jacobs. So, so anyway, they moved to Springfield, Ohio, which is about 15 miles from Fairborn in Dayton, where I grew up. Uh, and I don't know how long my mom had been married. Not real long, because I was just five. And I was awakened one night. I had my own bedroom. My mom and dad had a bedroom. I don't think my younger brother was born yet. Uh, and uh, I'm sure he wasn't. But anyway, so I woke up one night. I don't know. I didn't hear anything to wake me up, but I woke up, and I had a big old window about like that middle burgundy panel with the lights on it, the Christmas tree lights, kind of about that big, maybe a little longer window at the end of my bedroom. I got out of my bed, and I, I went to that window. The curtains were pulled, uh, and there stood this angelic creature, about 12 feet away from me, looking at me. 
I don't think I got any angel books left. It looked like the figure on the front of the angel book, except the one in the picture. Sean found it for me on the Internet, asked me if I wanted to use it for my book. I said, yeah. And he looked like the angel there, but he was his face was a lot older. He had this rod with him and went over his head about three feet, and he held on to it like that. He just looked at me, and I couldn't talk. I mean, when I'm telling you that, it's like I'm back there looking. I couldn't talk. I, I was thinking thoughts like, who are you? Are you Jesus? Are you an angel? Who, who are you? What, what do you want? At five years old, I could think, you know, I wasn't mentally ill or anything. I'm just being honest. But I couldn't, I mean, it was so overwhelming. You know, in the Bible, there's over 300 references to angels, and I'd say with maybe minus two times at most. They always, when they come on the scene, do you know what they say to humans? Fear not. Because if you see an angel in his real habitat, you know, they can change over and look like real people. I've had that happen at least once. But I know that if you see them in their general real place of existence, which is the spirit, you're going to either have to have huggies or faith. <laughs> they will scare something out of you. I'm not, I'm not being funny. They're just intimidating to look at. They're not these little funny looking things that some of your grandma had in her cabinets. Looked like a, it was supposed to be an angel, looked like a little preschooler with a beer belly and curly hair and a play with it, dark game, you know, bow and dark. That's not it at all. They're intimidating. So I ran and got my mother. She was on this side of the bed in her bedroom. I grabbed this arm and I jerked her like that, like, come with me, Mom. I don't think I was even talking yet. I was, and she got out. She knew I needed her. And I walked her over here. I'm going to face you instead of that way. And she saw him, and she couldn't talk. <laughs> and she stood in my pulpit. Sean, were you there? She's in heaven now, but she stood in my pulpit several years ago. She's been gone several years too, but and she couldn't talk. We looked at him. <laughs> I'm thinking he's going to say something to us. She's thinking that probably. And none of us are talking. He's not talking either. All I can tell you is when I got out of bed that night, I had my braces on because I was a little cripple boy. The, the doctor that I went to, Dr. Barney of Barney's Children's Hospital in Dayton, Ohio, I don't even know if the hospital's still there. I'm sure he's gone now. Um, he said to my mother, said, you know, your son's going to have problems his whole life because this is a serious case of rickets, lack of vitamin D, and the bones are deformed in his knees or Legs, he's going to have to keep these on, and it will get them bigger as he gets bigger, but he's going to have to have some kind of brace to help him. And eventually, you know, my mother said to the doctor after two and a half years, is there nothing you can do for my boy? And he said, no. And he said, well, we could break his legs, but I'm not even sure if we reset them, that's going to fix it because it's messed up. My mother felt helpless. And this is her story, and I don't know what she was doing. It's none of my business. It's like if you come and tell me you're backslidden, I don't want to hear your, what you're doing. That's between you and God. You need to get it straight, though. My mother said, I came home. Michael fell against the refrigerator and said, my God, Lord, if you'll heal my boy, I'll raise him in church. So that, And she said to me, I was backslidden then, Michael. I didn't ask her what she was doing. It's none of my business. So all of a sudden now... I'm getting up, I'm five years old. That was 67 years ago. 
And all I can say is there was no sounds to the angel or anything, but this is the way it seemed to me. Just, I'm trying to relate something in the spirit that's difficult to use English words to tell you. But it was like something was vibrating me on the inside. It was like, hmm, 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 no, no, there was no sound. I'm just using the sound to help you understand. And something was coming off of him. Something now I would know as the anointing. Angels carry anointing too, just like people, a little different realm. But And it just shook me. And I mean, I don't remember vibrating when I'm standing there, but something on the inside was, hmm, hmm, hmm. That's what I remember feeling. If I, you know, talk about feeling for a minute. And my mom looked at me. I looked at her. We looked at him. None of us were talking. So my mom turned loose in my hand and said, I'm going to go back to bed, Michael. I said, I'm going to, too. So I went and got in my bed. Now, whether the angel came in, listen to me carefully, I don't care how he did it. It came in and touched my legs and then went outside my window to appear to me. I couldn't tell you. Or whether he came through the wall after I was done looking at him when I was back asleep and laid hands on my legs and I was healed. Or just that anointing coming off of him went into my body and took care of that. I don't know the answer to that. I just know my mom took me back to Dr. Dr. whatever his name was. Barney, thank you for remembering. In about a month, and he said, my mother's name was Joyce. He said, Joyce, you got a miracle. He took the brace off, said, he don't need these. I don't know what happened to him. She said, I don't know either. <laughs> and sometimes they do bring healing anointings with them and different things like that that come from them. And the healing anointing always comes from God. But remember, the angels are creations of God. They're not in our realm. We're higher up than them because we're sons and daughters to God. They are not. They're your servants. I didn't ask that angel to come. Didn't know anything about it. All I knew is, you know, my mother, my mother did go to church and send me to church too when I was still crippled a little bit. But after I got healed, definitely she made sure I was in church every Sunday for 15, you know, 10 more years till I was 15 until I got so bored with it I couldn't take it anymore. So I just went out and became a sinner. Then I became a drug addict. So I didn't make wise decisions back then. I'm doing better today. Thank you so much. Now, I want to share with you, uh, this is a vision. This was in 54, the first one, when I got healed, 1971. Go to the book of Revelation with me if you'd like. I'd like to prove to you that what I'm saying is scriptural. Uh, Revelation chapter 8, I'm going to read verses 2 through 5. And then I'm going to tell you a little bit about myself. Uh, I had become a drug addict in 1968, the year I graduated high school. I was in the Navy a short period of time. also was a drug addict in there for a period of time. Then I got busted, and then they dismissed me from service. I wasn't trying to get dismissed from service. I was just beginning to be a drug addict, and drugs got a hold of me. And so, anyway, I've been a drug addict for three years by 1971. I lived in Ohio in a farm. There's 13 of us. We're all drug dealers except one person. And we had a lot of drugs around us. We had a lot of weapons around us, all kinds of guns, rifles, shotguns, pistols. And uh, we, we were just wild people living out in the country. And so we went to California to get some new drug deals. I went with five other guys from that group, five and myself. I think there was five of us, or four and myself maybe. But I want to read this, and I want to tell you what happened when I was in California because this led me to Jesus Christ.
uh, chapter 8 of Revelation, beginning in verse 2. And I saw seven angels which stood before God, and to them were given seven trumpets. And another angel came and stood at the altar, having a golden censer, and there was given unto him much incense, that he should offer it with the prayers of all saints upon the golden altar which was before the throne. And the smoke of the incense which came with the prayers of the saints ascended up before God out of the angel's hand. And the angel took the censer and filled it with fire off of the altar, the heavenly altar in heaven that burns. He put some of the flame in there and into that those prayers and cast it back into the earth. So the prayers came up and the angels were dealing with our prayers. If you're a saint, you're a believer, you're praying. And the angel's dealing with your prayers and he puts it in a censer, but he takes fire off the heavenly altar, which is heavenly things now being infused into it. Then he throws it back in the earth for the results. Okay, so they are very involved with this, even the ones in heaven. And the angel took the censer, verse 5, filled it with fire from off the altar and cast it into the earth. And there were voices, thunderings, lightnings, and an earthquake. And the first word listed here is what I'm going to talk about, voices. So I'm, I'm with these guys in California. The five of us, and we're living in a tenement house. It's not a, it's a bad situation. We were running out of money, and we're living in a tenement house, and it reminded me of a bad movie. In other words, a bad movie where there's guys with shotguns under their sport, their top coats, and they kick the door open, they just shoot everybody in the room. It's, it seemed like that to me. It seemed like the Wild West there. And everybody in that tenement house, you know what a tenement, it's a rundown garbage trap. It just, I counted cockroach bites on one leg one day just for fun, 55 bites on my left leg. It's a filthy place to live. I'd never lived like that unless I was a drug addict. And so we copped some dope, speed, methadrine, which was my favorite, and we borrowed a fit, a needle from the guy across the hall, and we were taking turns going in the little bathroom in this place. I mean, it was a funky, nasty place where we lived. Well, we were shooting dope because I was, we were all addicts. I don't know if you understand that. I'm not, I'm not talking about having a smoking a joint on the weekend. You shouldn't do any of that, but I was way past all that nonsense. I was really over there. You know, when I put up barriers every time I did a new drug, I said, I'm not going to do anything else. And then before I know it, I'm taking that. And then I said, I'm not going to do that. And before I know it, I'm shooting up, up with a needle. I'm not going to do And I just became an addict. And everything that goes with being a drug addict, I won't drag you through all the dirt. It's not, it's not very pleasant to listen to, but that's just where I was at. I was the last one to go in and shoot up. So those guys had been in the bathroom, shot up, came back out in the living room. They, they got a head on. In other words, the drugs have gotten to their brain. It only takes four seconds from here to here because I counted it several times. Four seconds, and you're you're just out there. I went in there in the bathroom. I'm sitting sitting on the toilet because I got to get down because I'm putting my dope in a spoon and heating it up, and I'm putting my tourniquet on and hit up, and there went a cockroach up the wall and. I'd had a dream I was going to do that six weeks before I got there. And I don't know why it freaked me out. I'm a tough guy, you know. I'm a drug addict. But it freaked me out. I thought, what in the world is that? And then I'm in that place, and the shower curtain disappears, and I see a movie, and it's about me. It's my life. Up to that point, I was 21. (laughs) And the Lord, and I don't ask me how I knew it was the Lord. Sometimes you know things down here your brain can't even figure out. And when you become really spiritual, 
There'll be a lot of things down there that you know that don't make any sense up here. Just trying to help you. If you ever want to become spiritual, you're going to have to turn your brain off to follow God. Okay. I didn't know much about God at all, but somehow when he spoke, I knew it was Jesus. He said, Michael, your life's going down the toilet. I wasn't using the toilet. I was just sitting on it. (laughs) Hang on. Now listen to me. So this movie keeps going, and all of a sudden it gets to the very end. He goes, Michael, come home. Now, when he said that, I knew that he didn't mean I was going to go to heaven because eight weeks before I'm sitting in that California bathroom shooting up back home, I'd been on a three-week run with speed and other drugs, and I left my body. I, I, I died in that farmhouse. My friend, I said, somebody go get Gary. And there was 13 of us. You know, people running around doing everything. He came up, and he tried to find my pulse. He couldn't find it. I could tell by the look on his face. I couldn't find it either, and I'm still breathing. I don't know how that works. Just listen to me. And so he, I know he left me. He got up and ran away, and I thought, oh, my God, I'm going to die by myself. <laughs> and he came back up, and he said, come on. And what I figured out later, he thought I'm going to die on the floor, and he's going to have to call the morgue, and then there's going to be trouble for us. When there's dead bodies at your house, they already know we're drug dealers because the police told us they knew we were doing that. But he took me to his parents' house. I'm hiring a kite. Set me at the at the dinner table for I don't know maybe an hour or two. I don't even remember talking. I just remember seeing him. He put me back in the truck, drove me back home. And when I laid down, it was about a quarter till three. I remember I had a clock, and about ten to three, I left my body. I came out of my mouth and floated up to the ceiling. And I saw this hand come out and push my spirit back into me. It went through my mouth and came down into my feet and my hands, and then I was back. But I was leaving. I was already left. I saw myself laying there. I was on the ceiling of the farm. And I thought, oh, my God, I don't even know where I'm going. But I just knew somehow God had rescued me. That was eight weeks before I got to that potty deal where I'm shooting dope. And the Lord said, Michael, come home. Well, I knew when he said that because of that other event, I wasn't going to heaven. And I wasn't going to hell right there either. I mean, maybe I would have if I had not repented. But he said, Michael, come home. And I knew he meant go back to my mom and dad's house because I knew right then in a slice of time, I can't make it around my drug friends anymore. I just can't do it. So I came back into the living room. You can imagine all my buddies, they're all high. And I tell them, hey, you know what? I I met God in the bathroom. They said, what? (laughs) You know, I said, God visited me in there. He said, man, you got some bad dope. And I fired right back. I didn't get any bad dope. I've shot the bad dope before I know what it feels like. That's not what I feel like. I just got to go home. Now, you got to understand, we're all drug addicts. And they're they're rough guys, too. And they said, if you don't shut the blankety-blank-blank-blank up, we're going to get up and shut you up. And I said, if you want, you can all bring it, because I'm willing to fight you for this. I'm going to go home tomorrow. And then I began to cry. I hope you enjoyed this. This is a real real me back then. (laughs) I said, I can't live like this anymore. I'm just done. And I looked at them. I said, do you not realize we buried five of our friends in last year's time? Two of them shot to death. Three of them overdosed. I can't live like this anymore. I can't do this. I'm not mad at you guys, but I can't live like this. I'm either going to die or something. I've got to go home. (laughs) Where are you going to go? I said, I'm going to go back to my mom and dad's. I told the people that would take me. 
I can't live with drug people anymore. I'm just, I'm spent. I don't know all this lifestyle for three years. You know, hippy-dippy, peace, whatever stuff, bunch of nonsense. We, we, and then, you know, we just got rougher and meaner, and the drug deals got more expensive, and people were, everybody was packing in those, when you met for a drug deal, two or three or $5,000. And sometimes it didn't go well, and people got died over that because they shot you. They took your dope and threw you in the ditch and heck with everything. So I started to cry, and I started to say, I don't know how you guys can do this. I can't do this anymore. And I went home the next day, started home to my mom's, got back. My mom was kind of the disciplinarian in our family. And she said, you can come back, but you're going to get a job, and you're going to pay rent. Yeah, I understand. You can't bring girls over here, and yada, yada. I understand. You can't do dope in our home. I understand. I said, Mom, I just need a place to get away from all that temporarily, and I will get a job. And so I came back home within six weeks. You know, I went back to the Baptist church. That's all I knew. Don't blame me. I love the Baptists, too. They don't know much, but they're okay people. Neither does anybody know much, in my opinion, typically. I don't care what denomination you came out of. Even Word of Faith people, they think they know it all and they've got it all, but they don't. I can guarantee you they don't know it all. Neither do I know it. Neither do you know it all. I mean, if you're honest, you don't know it all. And I mean, I'm in the leadership role now, but I just still don't know it all, and I'm, I'm still working on me, so don't be too hard on me. I mean, when I got saved, I was hooked on everything but phonics. I'm just telling you. Oh, my gosh. I won't tell you everything I was hooked on is too graphic, but anyway. So I go home. I start going to church. I see this young girl in church. She's a senior. I'm 21. She's probably 17 or 18, maybe. And her parents know me because my mother turns my name into the prayer people every Wednesday. My son is a drug addict, and he's going to kill somebody or get killed, and I want you to pray for him. So I want to date their daughter, and they are just madder than a hen. I don't know. Oh, my gosh. I fell for her father. He looked at me and said, listen, we're not going to play with this. You could, be, you could come to our house when we're here, but you better, we, we better never come home and find you here with our daughter, and we're not here. I got you. You can go to church with her, and that's about it. Maybe go get a hamburger, but just we'll put time limits on you. I said, okay. So she wanted me to go to this youth meeting with her. You know, a youth meeting where somebody's preaching to young people, and there was all kinds of teenagers here, and there I was, 21, long ponytail. I looked like Grizzly Adams. I don't know. <laughs> looked like those people on Below Zero on TV or whatever that's called. <laughs> True story. And the preacher preached, I don't remember a word he said. Now, I was trying to pay attention, but you understand my brain was really rattled from all the drugs and stuff. And I'm listening, and he said, everybody bow your head. I bowed my head. He said, ask God if you know him. So I said, Father, do I know you or not? I went to church from 5 to 15, and he answered me clearly. He said, Michael, you know about me, but you don't know me. And if you'll come tonight, give your life to me, give your life back to me, I will I will make it right. I'll make, think, I'll make something happen for you. I said, my God, I need that. I just told my mother three days before I'm in that meeting, Mom, I don't know what to do. I am so frustrated. There's no drug satisfying me anymore. There's no girl satisfies me anymore. There's nothing in my life that satisfies me. I'm just frustrated. I'm 21 years old, and I feel like I've done everything not two or three times, 10 or 15 or 25 times. Tried every drug I wanted to try. Tried all kinds of stuff. Just being a drug addict, you just become a different human being. 
I don't think you realize unless you know what a drug addict lives through. And here's just a few days later, God said, if you'll come tonight, I'll put your life back together. I got up and walked the floor, prayed with those teenagers, like she was saying, you know. And praise God, nobody could ever take that away from me. Even if you hate me when I'm done, I'm going to be excited. I'm saved. I got rescued. (laughs) And I'm not proud of my past life either. I'm not trying to glorify that. I'm just telling you the way it was. And so... I gave my life to the Lord in December. I went back to see that girl next Saturday. She met me at the door with a Cambridge Bible and said, This is my gift to you. Get out of my life. Don't call me. I don't want to date you. I don't want to see you. Goodbye. It didn't break my heart because I wasn't in love. I took her Bible and went home. But something had changed in me. Something because I got saved. I really did get saved. I don't think anybody at my local church thought that because when I came in, I think most of the people that had kids, teenage girls, they thought I was looking. But I wasn't. I was just trying to get in a church where I could serve God somewhat level. You know, I'm just, I'm just a very backslidden, very heathen person when I got saved. But I need to go to church. I know I need to be in church. Hallelujah. My mother, I think, on her 80th birthday, I went back to Fairborn, that same church in the basement, and all of her older people like her, they're in their 80s now, and some two or three of the ladies and two or three men, they're old, and they all prayed for me when I was a drug addict. I just went and hugged them and cried. I said, thank you. All right, let's move ahead here. Let me get out of this moment here. In 1983, I went to ministry in 76. God dealt with me about that. I argued with him about that, too. I said, you got the wrong guy. You, you don't know me. You know, come on. I can't, I'm trying to teach four, four seventh-grade boys in the basement of First Baptist, and that's a struggle. And he said, no, you're called, and I'm calling you to ministry, and I want you to go to Bible school. So anyway, I went to Louisville, Kentucky, went to Bible school there in 76 to 78, graduated. And then by 83, I'd start studying angels in 1980. So that's 40. Uh, what is that, 42 years ago? I do know a little bit about this. Not everything, but I know something. And so my friend had a church in Louisville. He said, why don't you come do a three-day seminar on angels? Well, I went. First night I went in, the pastor, I knew him. I said, hey, listen, I need to pray by myself. Not that I don't want to be around you, but you got a private place I could just go pray a minute. Yeah, I'll go over in this building right here through that door, go to the basement. There's a radio room. Here's the key. It's soundproof. You could scream, whatever, pray. And when you get done, just come on up and come in the service, sit on the front row, and we'll get you up as soon as we can. I said, okay. So I'm down there. There's all this technical equipment for radio broadcast. They taped it on a reel-to-reel, and all the electronics, I'm not very technical, and the chair and the desk. And I knelt down by that chair on my knees with my hands up, and I was praising God. And I was saying, Father, help me tonight. Use me tonight. Use my tongue as the pen of a ready writer. Help me minister to the people about this wonderful subject of angels. And all of a sudden, I just came out of my body. I, did you expect it? Heavens, no. I didn't dream it. Anything was going to happen to me. Other, I'm just going to talk to God for a minute and make sure that he's anointing us on me so I can go minister to those people. And looking back, I think, how pathetic. I only had three years of study. Now it's been 42 years. 39 more years onto that now. Anyway... So I came out of my body, and I just hesitated for a moment. I was going that direction. I looked back, and here I was. There I was where, I, where I'd left my body. My body's still like this, and an angel had this arm, an angel had that arm. 
I didn't know this at the time what they were doing. I figured it out later. They were keeping my body alive because I wasn't in there anymore. They were keeping me erect because they were ministering to me. Don't ask me how they do that. That's beyond your head. You don't know either. Let's just settle it. I'm not lying about it. Why would I lie to you? And I got into, I came into a big room. It was just a little radio room. I mean, probably like from the podium to that wall and not quite even as long back in there as that is. Just a little, and all of a sudden, I'm in a huge room like this sanctuary. If you went and folded it back one more time that way and at least one or two times that way, it's a big old room. And lo and behold, when I came to myself, I looked, and all the room was filled with angelic creatures, different sizes, different levels of anointing. You know, they're not all the same. You know, they're not clones. You know, well, we haven't heard anybody like you before. Well, you probably have, but maybe not exactly like me because I'm Michael. I'm not that other person you think you know me. All I know is these creatures were eager to help, and it was a thousand. I didn't count, but I would say at least several thousand of them, angels, and one of them talked. He did all the talking. That's me looking at him, and here's him. And he says, Michael, he knew my name. We're excited. He went like this because he's in the front row and all of them are behind him. We're excited you're teaching about us for we've desired to be involved in the body of Christ and they won't let us. I don't know. I don't know what you think about that. That shocked me. First, I was shocked that I was seeing all these magnificent beings that I had never seen in a group before. And secondly, the angel knew my name, called me by my first name, and told me that not only him, but all the angels in that room have desired to be involved with the body, us, the body of Christ. Are you the body of Christ? Yes. Or is, how many are saved? Okay, then that's us. We've desired to be involved in the body of Christ, and they won't let us. So you might think, boy, I bet you told them that that night about your vision. Are you kidding? I'm not telling nobody about that, at least at that moment. Because I'm still trying to assess what I just saw and what that angel said to me. Now, here's another thought. People always ask me this. What did the angel look like? You're asking the wrong question. What did the angel say? See, it's what he said in that moment. Now, that first vision in 54, when I was five, he didn't need to say anything to me, but something was transmitted to me, either from the anointing on him to me or he laid hands on me when I was not awake. That's possible, too. I don't know what happened. I just know I got healed. I wasn't healed before he f- appeared to me. <laughs> That's the only difference. I'm still Michael, just a little boy, a little crippled boy. Now I'm Michael the healed boy. So anyway, all of a sudden, after he said that, they won't let us. Bam, I find myself drifting back, and this is me back in this little room. I come back through my mouth and come back into my body like you put on a glove with your hand. And all of a sudden, I'm back in my natural physical body now. And I'm ready to go upstairs to get ready to preach. And I didn't tell anybody that, what I would saw or heard. I mean, it took me four months thinking those last four words were like, I don't know what to tell you. And even now, it's still vivid in me. They won't let us. There's nothing about God doing nothing. Nothing about the devil doing nothing. The body of Christ, you were hindering their help. I'm not accusing you of that. I'm definitely accusing you of that. Not just you. All the people who say they love Jesus and they believe the Bible. And this is a subject with 300 references. My gosh, I've been a preacher for 45 years. I've taught 
hundreds of sermons on a lesser amount of scriptures than 300. I doubt there's 300 scriptures on healing in the Bible. There's a lot, but I don't know about 300. I think the money scriptures outweigh that. I think there's 2,000 scriptures in the Bible about money. But people get mad you're teaching about it when we're trying to help them. I don't know what's wrong with people. I hope you're not some of those people. You're going to be shocked when you get in heaven. You're going to want to sleep in the garage up there because you don't like gold streets. You don't like Jesus got a big gold band around his chest. Not a ring, a band around him. Okay. So, they said, that angel said to me, we've desired to be involved in the body of Christ. They won't let. Then 1987 came. I was going through a very difficult time there. I just tell the truth about stuff. I don't know about you, but I do. You can think whatever you want to think. I was a pastor then. I was uh, started at church in 1985, and two years later, I was just so depressed. I was just depressed. The devil had just put it on me stiff and hard. And I don't know if you understand that or not. I'm not trying to give him glory. I just didn't know how to defend myself against him fully. I'm a young preacher. And the seminary didn't help me. It was my own prayer life that helped me and got some books by Brother Hagin eventually and things like that. And, and things like that. But I was so depressed. And I was at the office one day by myself. And I was laying on my couch in the office a minute. And these two angels came in. One of them did the talk and the other one was silent. There was two of them. And I said to them, what are you doing here? And they said, well, we come to turn this around for you. Then he said, the one that did the talk, and he said, but because you know more than the average person, we're requiring you to say something to release us. God has sent us to do this, but we won't do it without your agreement. And I asked them a couple questions. It's not important to you what I said to them, but I realized they were genuine angels. I wasn't doing dope. I wasn't drinking. Just to help you get over that in your head. You know, when you get depressed and oppressed of the devil for a long period of time, you should have been drunk and druggy because you're just as mad as them. You're full of worry. Pressure has mounted up in your brain, your mind, your consciousness, your soul, and your soul's in captivity. You just don't acknowledge it or something. I said, well, I'm not going to talk to you about it. <laughs> and I was halfway irritated. No, I'm just being honest with you. I know you're smarter than me. You would have just figured all this out, said the right words, got them going. I know you would have done that. Yeah, right. I'll ask God to do that for you sometime. We'll see what your report is in heaven. A, B, C, F, D minus. So I got my briefcase and got in my car to drive home. I only a block away from the freeway in those days from my church at the time. There's a hole in the wall called a church, but it was in a strip center. It was just a hole in the wall, I called it. I'm glad I had a hole in the wall. I wouldn't have had any hole to go to where I could preach. I got on the freeway, and all of a sudden they appeared. The one did the talking, got in the front seat with me. He didn't open the door either. And the other one appeared in the back seat, and he, and he looked at me like this is him looking at me. He said, we told you, Michael, you're going to have to talk to us to get this done. I'm not going to tell you this all day. Either make your mind up. And when he said that, something came over me like a consciousness. You know, I'm thinking to myself, what's wrong with me? I, I'm not responding correctly. But I knew better. And I just said, I repent, Father. Okay, I'm in agreement with whatever Father's told you to do. Go and change things for me. Turn it for me. 
And they vanished, and within 24 hours, that thing had turned. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Now, let's move on here to 1999. I'm not, I'm not near done, but if you have to go, you can go. I, how many want to hear the rest of this? Half of you. Okay, the rest of you can go. 1999, I got behind a little bit in finances of the church. You know, I don't know of many churches that don't, personally. You know, I mean, there's maybe some preachers that just got it all together and got a lot of people that give faithfully. Uh, but we got, we got to where we were $40,000 in the hole. And that's the first time that had happened in my ministry up to that point, 1999. I'd been in full-time ministry since really 76 when I was in school and part-time being a youth pastor and all that stuff. So I said to the people, I'm going to set a date out here six weeks in the future. I'm not going to preach that night because I've already taught you well about your finances. I need your help. This is not a tithe. This is an offering. I want you to go sell something or pray, you and your wife, if you're married or if you're by yourself, pray by yourself. And bring something extra to help us. We're going to put the buckets up on the platform, on the step. The praise team's been told. I told them, sing for 40 minutes. That's it. No teaching. Not 45 minutes. Not an hour. 45 minutes. Sing. And during those 45 minutes, I want you to come at your own leisure. And if you're married and got kids, bring them with you and come up and pray over that. And and drop it in the bucket to help us. Right? And the church needs your help. I'm going to do something special, too. And so we're just singing along. You know, I'm standing right here in my church. And I'm my back is to the people there, and I'm like this. And a lot of times when I'm singing, I'll close my eyes. So the people on the platform, they couldn't tell if I'm there or not anyway. I got my eyes closed. And if I stop singing verbally, which sometimes I do, and just reflect on God, worship Him, they're just seeing me stand there. The people behind me, all they see is my back. So sometime in that worship service, I would say kind of towards the end, I'd say maybe at about a 30-minute mark, a 25-minute mark. I didn't time it. I'm standing there worshiping God, and I didn't expect this to happen either. Boom, came out of my body. (laughs) And I was going to the left, and there were some doors there. There was a door over here in my vision. And I took a couple steps. I looked back. There's two angels. One's got this arm up. One's got that arm up. So when you look at me from the back, you see me. You think you see me, but it's my body. People on the platform see me, but I shut my mouth. I'm not singing verbally. But all they see is my body standing there. They think I'm worshiping, which I was just a second before. But now I'm moving somewhere. You know, it's an odd feeling to come out of your body and turn back and see yourself. and But you're not there anymore. You're over here, you know. And I get to this door, the door's open, but it's pitch black inside this room. And all of a sudden, down here in my spirit, the Lord said, Michael, take a step over that threshold. There was a threshold plate. You know how some entrances have a little plate at the bottom. And I went, boom, when my foot hit inside the plate, all the lights went on, and there was a big angel standing here. And, he, and I'm going to tell you about this angel. I'd never seen one like this. He's about eight foot tall. He reminds me of the guy, the actor, the Samoan guy, The Rock. I think that's what he's got a big tattoo on his chest or something. Everybody's got a tattoo somewhere. Come on now. Oh, my. I don't get it, but if you got one, you got one. Okay. Anyway, he didn't have a tattoo, and he wasn't that tan, but he was muscular. He, it looked like he'd been lifting weights to me. I'm not being fleshly. That, that angel, he was just built. And he said, Michael... They always call me that. Michael, 
come into your new room. You'll have to learn to be skillful, Michael, with the equipment in this room. And I looked around, and the light was on, but what had happened, they had these, well, you got it around the drum here, a black cloth, but in a lot of churches, they put it over the pianos, the electrical pianos, so dust doesn't get in the keys. You've seen that. And that's what it looked like. It didn't look like musical equipment, but there was something under the black cloths in this room, but it was hidden from me initially. All I could see was these black cloths. But I knew they were equipment for me, listen, in a new room. Now, I wouldn't have known what he meant, but a year before that, I had an intercessory group. I had an intercessory group in my own church for 16 years. I did all the teaching. I didn't give that out to anybody else. And I pray, and they prayed with me, and I said, don't come if you can't give me two hours. I don't need you. Stay home. I had 310 people in my church at the time. I had seven people that committed to come pray with their pastor for seven years with seven people. If I had a pizza party for them, I'd have 390 people because they'd invite all their cousins and their aunts and uncles. And people would come eat my pizza and eat my hamburgers. They didn't have a thing to think about praying with, their, with me. Yeah, I'm just telling you the truth. That's the way people are. They don't want to pray. They want to eat. So, anyway, the next night... Let's go to see. Let me say something here. Let's go back to 1 Kings 19. Are you following me? I want to share something from the Bible. And what I said to you, besides the pizza stuff, let me say this. I taught the intercessors a year previous to that angel telling me it was a new room. I taught them about gates and doors and rooms. I don't have those on tape, so don't ask. I don't. I have some notes not with me. But I taught that to the intercessors. The rest of people, why they need to know? They're not praying with me anyway. You know, you'll you'll get a hold of what I'm saying eventually. It may make you mad, but that's okay. Why tell people stuff they're not going to use? If they really wanted to be used, they'd come and did what I asked them to do. But they didn't want that. They don't want to pray. They just want to come and be fed and go home and do whatever they want. But I taught that intercessory group with me gates and doors and rooms and there's different rooms of the spirit there's gates you go through to get there i already shared one of them with you the group that's been with me all weekend about the church is the gate of heaven the church is the gate heavenly things throw through into the community into the nations into the world that's the only gate there is okay and we talked about gates and doors and rooms in detail to the intercessors, probably taught it for eight or nine weeks. So when he began to say to me, you come into a new room, I knew exactly what he was saying about a new room. So let me give you some scriptures for that, just so you don't realize, you don't think I'm just nuts. Here, 1 Kings 19, uh, and over here in verse, uh, verse uh, 15 and 16, look at this with me. Then we'll go to a New Testament reference. And the Lord said unto him, the Lord said unto the prophet Elijah, Return on thy way to the wilderness of Damascus, and when you come, anoint Hazel to be king over Syria. And Jehu, the son of Nimshi, shalt thou anoint to be king over Israel. And Elisha, the son of Saphat of Abel-Meholah, thou shalt anoint to be prophet in thy room. So we see from this there, there are rooms, and in this particular passage, Elijah the, sing, Elijah, the senior prophet, is bringing Elisha into his room, the room of the prophet. And I said this before. I don't think you all were here other times. 
you know, when the pastor gets up, either Fiona or Pastor Doug, and they say, okay, Dr. Jacobs is going to come. I'm not expecting him to call me a prophet publicly, but that's what I am. Whether they call me that is not the point. The point is when I come up and take authority in the service to minister, you're not in a pastor's room anymore. You're in a prophet's room. It's different than the pastor. Not more important, just different. You know, I think the pastor's critical, but I think some of us in the body of Christ are beginning to realize all five minister gifts are important. And you have to have them come to your church at least periodically. Somebody enters an apostle and a prophet and an evangelist, and they all have different rooms they're in. So when you come into my room, and whether we said that, I'm saying it now, there are different rooms, and I think there's different rooms for pastors. Or maybe different levels of grace or different levels of the anointing or different levels of that calling. Some pastors will pastor two or three hundred people, and that's all they're ever pastor. Even some of them in the country may pastor 40 people. Some big-time preachers got 5,000. But when you get to heaven, the one that pastored 40 and the one that pastored 3,000, it won't make any difference. Were you faithful to what God told you to do? Our problem is anymore we want to we want to try to copy somebody that we think is successful instead of getting on our knees and asking God what he thinks is successful and doing what he said, not what your buddy told you to do. You know, if we're just honest, there's a lot we need to learn. I mean, all fivefold ministry, learn a new level of understanding and revelation. So we all mature together. Thank you for your amens. Good job, doctor. Thank you. All right. So now we see there are different rooms and he's going to bring him into his room. And see, I didn't even know this when I got around Dr. Dufresne, but I saw it very quickly. I was really called to be a prophet and I didn't understand that, how to get into that. And then secondly, and God told me that way back in 1975 before I ever went to seminary in 76. But I didn't know. And they didn't. Southern Baptists, they don't believe in prophets and apostles. What are you thinking? The Church of Christ definitely don't believe in they don't even believe in instruments. Yeah. I'm just talking some truth to you. I'm not criticizing. Everybody's wrong in some area. We're not all perfected yet. None of us. But my point is, you see, he was bringing a, a junior prophet into a senior prophet's room so he could be trained. And that's why that's what happened. I didn't know that. God didn't tell me that. He just said, call Dr. Dufresne. In 1993, because, I, I mean, my church was exploding with growth. My marriage was good. My children loved God. They still do. My wife and I loved each other. Church was growing, but I was so frustrated. And I had prayed in tongues every day of my life since May of 78. This is 93. And I moved in the gift some. But, see, I was feeling like I wasn't getting where I needed to be. I guess that, this is the way I said it. I need to go somewhere, but I don't know where where is. So I already had an established prayer life. Let me just help you. If you're really hungry, this is what you'll do. I already had a prayer life that took me an hour, an hour and a half to pray just basic things every day. So I said, Lord, I'm not going to add an hour onto that same time frame because that's a little much for me right now. It's still trying to pastor and do everything I'm supposed to do. But I'm going to take another time during the day at my leisure, and I'm going to set it apart for one hour, and all I'm going to do in that hour is pray in tongues. And I'm going to do that every day. Until you speak to me about where there is or how to figure that out. I prayed for three months every day, an hour in tongues, plus what I was praying in my regular prayer life for an hour and a half. And 91st day, God called Dr. Ed Dufresne, having come to your church. 
I told the staff, find, this, find him. I know who he is, but I don't really know him. And I wrote him a letter and I told him what I just told you. My wife loves me and I'm, my church is growing, and, but I'm frustrated. And God said to call you and have you come to my church. He came and it was an instant fit, me and him. You know what I mean, instant fit? He got off the airplane. I knew him from his books, his picture. There he is. Hey, Dr. Dufresne, I'm Pastor Jacobs. Hello, son. And, you know, we just loved each other instantly and had a great relationship. Twenty years I was with him. I told him one time, I said, now, I would like you to be my uh, my overseer, my somebody I can be accountable to. And I promise you now, and I'm only going to say this one time, I won't run off from you like Linus with my pacifier and my blanket because they get corrected. <laughs> I'm not coming back either. Bye-bye. That's the way church people get. I could say everything that feeds you and loves you, and I say one thing that sounds a little bit corrective. You go, I'm, that's it. I'm not listening to him anymore. I'll be back next year. Isn't that the way the body does? You know somebody. If it's not you, you know somebody like that. All right. You need a little humor with me, I think, too. 1 Corinthians 14. You know the Bible teaches about rooms in the New Testament, even in the midst of all the gifts of the Spirit. 1 Corinthians 14, verse, let me find it, verse 16. I'm going to read that to you. And we've still got, still got uh, some really wonderful things to say if you have time. I know it's 12 o'clock. I'm not trying to preach all day. But some things that will be interesting to know. So, anyway, 1 Corinthians 14, verse 16. You know, he's talked in verse chapter 12, the gifts. In verse 14, he talks how to operate in the gifts a little more, especially the utterance gifts and even other things he lists in verse 26. But I'm in verse 16 here and 17. It says, Else when thou shalt bless with the Spirit. So that would mean blessing somebody by praying in the Spirit for them or speaking in the spirit to them, how shall he that occupies the room of the unlearned say amen at thy giving of thanks, seeing he understands not what you say? For you verily give thanks well, but the other's not edified. So he says here there's a room of the unlearned. The reason I'm bringing that out, if you're in that room, get out of that room. <laughs> get into the room of the learned. There's no reason to be unlearned when you're in a good church like this. I'm not talking about just me today. I'm talking about your pastors, too, whatever their goals are to teach you. And just because you're here doesn't mean you got it. Just because you say amen doesn't mean you got it. But let me show you why this is dangerous. The room of the unlearned, he compares it to being an unbeliever. Same chapter, verse 23. If therefore the whole church be come together into one place and all speak with tongues, and there come in some that are those that are unlearned or unbelievers... So he says the unlearned has the same judgment of a service as an unbeliever. Now, that's pretty pathetic. <laughs> you shouldn't be on the same level as an unbeliever. You should be in the room of the learned. Get out of that room. If you're in that room, I'm just saying you could repent while I'm talking. Just say, Father, help me to get over here where I'm learning things I need to learn. I don't want to be ignorant all my life. You could be missing out on some things. I think that's safe to say we are all missing out if we don't get learned in some other areas. 
Well, thank you anyway. A couple grunts and a couple of stares. And... All right. So anyway, let me move on here with what I'm saying. So the next day was Monday. It was a Sunday night when I had the experience of the new room thing. And then so, you know, I still don't know what's in that room, but the next night was Monday, and I had my intercessory group with me. There was probably, at that point, maybe 30 of us. I don't know, Sean, were you a part of that? Maybe 30 of us by that time. It was We'd been going over 10 years. We did that for 16 years, I think, that intercessor group. I don't do that anymore. I don't have time to do that with a group normally because I'm traveling too much to do that. But anyway, uh, we had an intercessory group that night, and it was about 30 plus myself. And I began to pray over some missionaries. We'd supported missionaries for a long time. We'd give about $2 million to missions in my lifetime so far. And we had a couple in Honduras, a couple in Mexico. And I had apprehension about both those families. Both of them had three children, married with three children in the, in the, in those nations. First, I prayed for my friend in Mexico and his wife, and he had three boys. I began to pray everything I knew in English, binding the devil in the name of Jesus, releasing the angels to help him. Uh, pleading the blood of Jesus, dismissing any kind of assignments of the adversary. And I just, I don't know about you, I just knew I wasn't hitting pay dirt. That means I did what I thought to do, but it wasn't getting accomplished fully like it should be. I knew that down here. My brain would have not said that, but down here said that. And I talked to a couple of my key intercessors, Dale and Donna. I said, I'm not, we're not hitting it, are we? And they said, no. I said, let's just pray in tongues for the missionaries in Mexico. Now, I'm shutting my eyes, and all the intercessors are up here kind of in a circle around me, and I'm just walking back and forth. And then I stopped and just shut my eyes and began to pray in tongues. But when I shut my eyes, instead of having my eyes shut, they were open to a vision, and I'm back in that little room. But now it's filled with angels. There's 80 or 100 angels in that room. And I look over here, and somehow or another, I don't. you say, how did you know that? I don't know. Some things you know, you just know. I'm talking about spiritually wise. Down here, and this one angel looked at me, and I'd never seen him before in my life. But when he looked at me, I knew somehow by his facial expression, he's going to help me with this couple in Mexico. So I began to pray. I'm praying in tongues. Then all of a sudden, I go into some other kind of dialect. It's a, It's a foreign to me. It's like a, it was some other tongue that I'd never spoken in before or since. <laughs> I've only had that happen four or five times in my lifetime. I spoke in this language I'd never heard myself speak in. It was some kind of, you know, to the natural mind sound like just gibberish, but I knew it wasn't because he, he was watching me and I was talk, looking at him. I got my eyes closed to these people, but I'm like my eyes open and I'm in that room. How can that be? I Just the way it is, okay? There's a lot of things you can't explain to your satisfaction. You know, your brain isn't that big. I don't care if you got a Ph.D. in something or double Ph. So and it only took me about two minutes praying like that. And when I stopped, the whole group stopped instantly. We knew we hit it. And he shot through that wall like a, like a shooting star coming to earth. He went, phew. It was like a white trail behind him. And I knew he's going to take care of those people in Mexico. I think I shared this yesterday when Fiona asked me some questions about angels. And then, then, so we began to pray for the couple in Honduras. They have three children too. Prayed. We did all we knew in English, everything we could think of that would be relevant to help them. 
You know, when you feel apprehension sometime about somebody, that means something you need to stop and pay attention to that. It could cost somebody their life. In fact, I heard Brother Hagin say that. But he didn't deal with something correctly about some relative or something, and they ended up getting killed. So, you know, I'm not putting him down any more than all of us. We maybe didn't even pick it up to do anything about it. We're so carnal. But anyway, we, I prayed everything. We tried to in English. It wasn't hitting it. Not hitting it. No, it wasn't hitting it. That's what I'm telling you. You'd know down here if it hits or not. So again, I said, okay, let's just pray in tongues. So, and then this time, I look over to this side of the room, and there's an angel back here, about halfway back. He looks at me, and somehow, I don't know, you know, you just knew. I knew he's going to help me with the people in Honduras. I went, then I broke into some other dialect with him. They're different than that one. And I prayed about two minutes, maybe not that long, and he shot through the wall. Now, let me show you something here since you're right here in 1 Corinthians. Go to 1 Corinthians 13, then I'm going to tell you what happened. 13, verse 1. Though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels. So you could speak and break off into another tongue different than your normal prayer language tongue if God anoints you to do that. I don't think you could just say, well, I'm going to do what Dr. Jacobs did. Well, you can't do that all the time unless you're me. You, you, I mean, if God anointed you to do it, you could do anything anybody else could do, but that has to be an anointing. So anyway, so I spoke to this angel with some other unknown tongue to me, and that one, some, and one other time I spoke to, the, I was going to the Navajo Nation to do mission work, the Navajo Indians. You know, they're famous for having a language that's so complicated. World War II, they got those people on the, uh, the, Code, yeah, wind talkers or whatever they called them, and they could never break their code. So we had an advantage over the Germans and, and kick some boots of honey because <laughs> they couldn't break that code. It was so complicated. I prayed. I was in the intercessory group. I don't know if you were there, Sean. You might have been. It was in the old fellowship hall. It was carpet, and I fell on my face on my belly and began to pray in this funny language. And the intercessors were just around me. They were just praying in, in the spirit with me. I don't think they sounded just like me. But I broke into some other unusual language I'd never heard. I'd never been there yet to the Navajos. And then I went out there to preach. And when they were talking amongst themselves, I said, well, that's what I was speaking in prayer back here in, in where I live, you know, in Indiana before I went out to Arizona. Anyway, so about a month later, the man in Mexico called me and said, hey, guess what? I said, I don't know what. I said, you know, God laid you on my heart about six, eight weeks ago. He said, oh, my, we had three armed bandits come to my home and put a gun in my head and said, where's your safe? And he's kind of a funny guy. I, a safe? I'm a missionary. I don't have a safe. Well, get in that room then, you and your wife and three boys. And they didn't take a watch. They didn't take a, anything to eat. They didn't even take, didn't get anything from them. They heard a disturbance outside the home in Sayula, Mexico, and they all ran off. Coincidence? I think not. Remember that angel took care of that, and then this one. So then, and a few more days later, the brother in Honduras called me and he said, "Oh my gosh, Doctor Jacobs, I had an experience. I came home with my two older kids, and I opened the door, and there was a guy with a gun. And my wife and my baby girl were upstairs. They tied them up in her bedroom. And he said, I told the kids, run. 
And he said, I tackled the guy with the gun in hopes that I could get it away from him, and he did. And they heard the disturbance upstairs, ran down the back stairs, and this guy got away. They all ran out the back door. His wife was not molested. His baby girl was not molested. Nobody got raped. Nobody got hurt. God just disrupted the whole plan. Coincidence? I think not. Hallelujah. All right. Praise the Lord. Now, then and later I didn't, didn't pay attention to what God had told me about that new room. I let it drift for a while. He interrupted me in prayer and said, are you ever going to continue to pray about the new room or are you just going to let it flop, Michael? You know, I like God. He's just direct with me. Sometimes it hurts, but it's better than not him talking at all. So the Lord told me the healing anointing in your right hand will become stronger because of that new room. Remember the angel said, come into a new room? Okay. And then he said, number two, God said, more angelic activity in your personal life and in your ministry would occur. And, of course, that explains the angels being in that new room with me that I'd never had. I had that one vision in 83, and I don't believe that all the angels in that room were assigned to me. I just believe God was giving me an overview of the amount of intensity that was available to the body of Christ. And then number three, he said, you're going to increase in your finances and all that's come to pass. Now, let me move it forward to 2008. You sure you got a few more minutes? <laughs> okay. Dr. Dufresne was at my church. He was there two or three times a year. In fact, that time he came with Pastor Nancy, and they were both ministering. They had We had a week-long meeting or whatever. And so one night, Dr. Dufresne says, I want to pray for all the preachers. Well, I'm a preacher, so I get up. My wife and I come to the altar, just like all the preachers. There was a bunch of us there. And doctor laid hands on me, and I went down, you know. But now listen to me carefully. I don't do one of these numbers with people either. Like, you're not going to push me over, preacher. <laughs> you know, when you do that to me, unless you've got a real reason to do that, I wonder what you're going to receive. Probably nothing when you do. Go ahead and pray for me. Thanks. But at the same time, when I fall down, I don't lay down and take a nap. I get up because I'm done. But that night, I didn't get up. And I laid there, my wife said, and Dr. Dufresne, when I came to, again, he was sitting there with Pastor Nancy. My wife was sitting here, and the whole congregation was sitting in their chairs. I was up there. You were there 20 or 30 minutes. Now, I'm going to tell you what happened because after I got through with all this, I'm going to tell you what all I said during the vision but I asked my wife privately after we finally got home that night, did you see me talking? Did you hear me talking? No, you didn't say a thing. You looked like you were asleep. Your lips never moved. Your eyes never came open. We didn't know what happened to you. Never happened to me before then. I've been saved 50 years. Been in full gospel meetings 45 years. Nothing like that's ever happened before or since. I went somewhere. So this is what happened. I'll tell you what happened. So... When I fell out, all of a sudden, I knew somehow I was, I knew I was still me, Michael, but I wasn't there. That time I didn't look back and see any angels doing anything because I was in another dimension. And I'm, I'm still laying flat, but I'm not at the church. I'm someplace else. And I said to the Lord out loud with my mouth, am I in heaven? He said, no, but pay attention. I'm going to show you something. I said, all right. And all of a sudden, eight angels flew in, four on this side and four on that side. I'm laying flat. They're looking at each other. There's four, there's four pairs of them. 
They came in, they had on this chain mall out, uh, outfit, like a chain link fence, like you see in an old Roman sword fight thing kind of thing, and then went up here and they went all the way down to their feet. No weaponry, no axes, no shields, no bows, no swords. And they're just sitting there, and they're just, they're not worshiping me, but they're just looking at each other, four on this side and four on that side. And so all of a sudden, the Lord said, I'm going to teach you something. Pay attention. I said, yes, sir. And I'm looking here out of kind of my left view over here, maybe back where that exit sign is by that opening. And over a little knoll came this creature. He looked like a gorilla, but he had a demonic head on him. And when he saw me, I could tell he was angry and vicious. And he, he saw me and he started, I don't know how he did this, he started to run, but it seemed like he went 100 miles an hour in two seconds. And I said, in the, because I'm trying to get something to happen against him. He's a bad-looking motor scooter. If I hadn't had faith, he would have scared me. And I said, in the, and I was going to say, in the name of Jesus, I bind you. But when I got to end the, this angel down here, he stood up. Now, all he's got the same outfit on, but he's got a bow, and he reaches back, and he gets an arrow from that, and he goes, boom. That arrow hits that creature, and he's etch a sketch, the little red things. You make a drawing, you shake it, it dissipates. That's what happened. And so I said to the Lord, you can't kill a demon with an arrow, can you? He said, no, but I'm showing you that because these are the kind of creatures going to come after you now because you're in the prophet's ministry. You're up in a different level of the prophet's ministry. And then I said to him, well, you already gave me an angel to protect me when I was born. Is that right? Yes, sir. But this is a special angel assigned to help you now in the prophet's ministry. He takes care of things like that for you. I wanted to say, yay, yay, hey, hey. So let me think here. I think that was it. Then all of a sudden, now all that took place, and I'm talking through the whole thing, off and on to God. I get up. I, I'm kind of disoriented for a minute, and I dismissed the church. We went back and ate. Dad didn't ask me anything, Dr. Frank, during eating. I don't even know if I did eat that night. We got in the car, shut the doors, Pastor Nancy, Dr. Frank, me and my wife, Diana, he said, what did you see, Michael? And I said, well, I was going to submit it to you. If you think I'm full of something, just tell me. And I told him the whole thing. He said, no, those eight angels are assigned to you now. And then later in life, he began to tell me about he had a different angel assigned to him for stuff like that, too, as a prophet. Anyway, I'm just telling you what's happened. So, anyway, are you still here? I'm just about done here. So about... Um, about six weeks later, I'm in my, in my bedroom. I'm there by myself. I'm, got, I'm in a chair and I'm tying my shoe. And then walks two of them. They got this. I, I said, you could, you're part of the, and they finished my sentence. Yeah, we're part of the eight. What are you doing here? We came to tell you what our part is with you. I said, yeah, I wish you would. Speak on. They said, we are in your ministry, in your healing ministry, and we will come help you restore and repair people's bodies when you minister to them in prayer lines and so forth. So we've had an increase of divine healings, an increase of miracles, an increase in body parts. Sometimes the different angels than those two, they bring body parts. Another angel brings body parts to me occasionally. I know that sounds macabre if you don't understand it, but I just have to trust it. You know I'm not lying about it. So anyway, praise the Lord. And so let me tell you this, this last little thing here, and then we're going to stop we minister to you or something. We'll see how the Lord leads us. 
Then 2009, the Lord said to me, I went to help Pastor Charles Cowan. Do you guys know Pastor Cowan in Nashville? He asked me to come preach on a Sunday and asked me to help. I said, what's the subject, or do you have a subject for me? Well, I want you to come Sunday night and talk about spiritual fathers in my Bible school, but Sunday morning I want you to talk about something that does with helping us complete the vision that we have. So, And so I said to him, well, what would that involve? He said, well, certainly money. But not only that, they're helping whatever area they want to work in in the ministry of helps. So I said, well, I, I could preach on angels and money if you'd like me to. I'd be glad to do that, and the angels will come help us with the money of people. He said, that sounds great. So I preached that that morning, and he's in a big church. He's got a church, I don't know, about 1,200 people. He's got a huge ceiling about three times this high. And all, while I'm preaching it, all the angels started flying in and joining each other, and they were all up in the ceiling. By the time I got done praying or preaching, they were all connected with each other. So I told the people, as you give today, we're going to release our faith because the angels here, they're going to go help take care of that in your giving to see to it that you get repaid for all this and even in a fresher way. So then we, we prayed and we released the angels and they all disappeared. They all flew different directions to take care of the people that had sowed seed. I had that happen once in my own church, too, in 2009. But at the end of that, in Pastor Cowan's church, I'll stop with this. In Pastor Cowan's church, at the end of that, that healing anointing hit me. So I said, if you have anything wrong with your bones, anything at all, I'd like you to uh, come up here. My wife was on the platform. I said, well, how many people did I pray for when I was through? She said, about 300. I said, 300? Whew. It was about 50 people across the front six times. So I didn't stop to give them a dissertation, or I just tapped them in the head and said, and, they, and so I got back to the green room, which was off the platform back in here, and I went in the bathroom, washed my hands, came out, and the two drivers that they'd assigned to take us to the hotel and to church were standing with a lady in between them. And one of the one driver said to me, Dr. Jacobs, this lady got in your prayer line, but I don't think you saw her. I said, what does that mean? And he did this. He said, I'm going to show you what she looked like when she tried to get up in your prayer. And she did get up there, but this is what she did. She has rheumatoid arthritis. She did have. You touched her, and and they said she can run. I said, run, lady, run. She ran around that green room. I got behind her. Come on, hey. <laughs> God just straightened out her legs and everything. She's about 40-some years old, had two or three kids. Yeah. And then that night, the pastor brought another lady to me, had dreadlocks. And he said, show Dr. Jacobs what happened to you. So she said, Dr. Jacobs, and she grabbed her hair. She had real long dreadlocks. She pulled it to the side. Give me your hand. Put it on my neck. I said, well, it feels just like my neck. Is there something wrong with it? There was. I had a bone spur. She went like that, sticking out that far out the back of my neck. If you ever had a bone spur, you'd know they're extremely painful. I've had people healed in their feet of bone spurs. I've had people healed in their spine of bone spurs. And this lady had a bone spur in her neck. She said, I couldn't hardly turn my head. It was so painful. You touched me in the prayer line the time I got back to my seat. It disappeared. I wanted you to feel it for yourself. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. <laughs> so let me st- stand up with me, please. You've been patient. Thank you so much. Now, is there anybody here that you have any problem with your bones? You want me to pray for you. Come up here right now. 
Anybody you have any kind of bone issues, I'll be glad to pray for you. If I already prayed for you Friday, I don't need to pray for you again, but come on and come. I'm sorry. Oh, okay, I'll wait on her. Is somebody getting her? Or do we need to send some ushers to help her? Okay, go ahead, hon. Come on, step up a little further to me, gentlemen, ladies, gentlemen. Hallelujah. What's up with your bones? Your hands? They swell up? Is it arthritis and they hurt? The bones? Be healed in your, oh, in your hands, right? Oh, there's an anointing into you, sir. It's going in there to fix that in your hands. In the name of Jesus. That's it right there. You feel that? The power of God's on you. It's going into your hands. What's up with you? Yeah. Arthritis. Come out! I command you to turn loose of her body in Jesus' name right now. Command you to go. Father, I release the anointing in my right hand for bones to go into my sister and make everything right in her skeletal system, everything right in her hands, everything that she just said she had, I command it to leave her in the name of Jesus. There's an anointing on you, sister. There it is again. It's coming on you in a wave. What's up with you? Curvature of the spine. Father, in the name. Oh, command that spine to be straight in Jesus' precious name. Something's happening to you, sister. In the name of Jesus, I command that spine to be straightened. Jesus. Oh, my goodness. The anointing's on you. You feel that? Yeah. Power's working on you. Whew. Have somebody check you later, your mom or your husband or whoever, and see that that's working. And listen. We've had a lot of people here with scoliosis and all kinds of spinal issues, and it normally straightens out pretty quickly, but it could maybe be by tomorrow or it could be before you get home. You know what I'm saying? Just have somebody check you that you trust to check your spine. What's up with you, sir? Scoliosis and then arthritis. Okay. Father, in name arthritis, come out! I rebuke you, command you to loose this man's body. Oh, there it went. In the name of Jesus. Now I pray for his body to be healed by the power of God. Let that anointing go in him in my right hand, into every bone and joint. Let the fire of God, the glory, burn out all calcium deposits where it's hard for mobility. And let them th- those bones be moistened now by the anointing. There's the power on you, sir. What you need, Mom? Um, bladder healing. Okay. Mm-hmm. Okay. In your bladder and your... And your your bones situation, Everything. Father. Let this. I pray for this bladder to be healed, Father. I thank you. You've got parts in heaven. I pray you either heal this one or give her a new one. In the name of Jesus, you got parts. And Father, I pray for all the bone issues that she's mentioned and any that she didn't come out. Arthritis, every bit of that looser where there's been stiffening of the bones. And I pray for the fire of God to go into every place where there's calcium deposits and melt that out. And I pray for her bones to be re-moistened and refreshed. Oh, my. That's it right there. In the name of Jesus. Yes, sir. What you need? In your neck? In your hip? Father, we command this arthritis. Come out! I rebuke you, arthritis. Come out of my brother's body, out of his neck, out of his hips, out of any other part that has tried to come upon him in Jesus' name. I command you, loose him in Jesus' name. And I command the fire of God and the anointing of God to go in him in my right hand now and melt out any calcium deposits and cause those bones to be remoistened and loosened and fully functionable again without pain in the name of Jesus. Well, the anointing's strong on you, sir. Hallelujah. There you go. 
Praise God. What you need? Uh, I was paralyzed one year, left side from polio, mm-hmm. my ankle joint, and knee never developed. Okay. And I only have one normal toe on my left foot. Okay. So you got some bone problems. Yeah, it affects my spine, my neck. Okay. All right. Father, I pick a miracle to my sister in her skeletal system. Let the anointing of God through my hands go into that skeletal body and straighten out every bone, everything that she mentioned, her knees, her hips, or whatever, anything that's been a problem. I command that, come out! In Jesus' name, you go from her now. She has a right to be healed, and I command your power broken, Satan, and God's power to take its place. Let the fire of God burn out any calcium deposits and bones be moistened afresh and anew by your anointing, Father, in the name of Jesus. Whew. Hallelujah. Yeah, praise God. Praise God. Praise God. Hallelujah. You're still here, huh? Good. You're just soaking it up. That's good. She's a good receiver. That's what we like. And I didn't tell these people, but they were good at this. You know, none of them were praying out loud when I'm trying to minister to them. Listen to this little key. If you get in prayer lines, this is my last service, but I know the pastors minister to people. It's good for you not to talk or pray when somebody comes to pray for you because what we're trying to do is put something in you and if you're giving out, you can't take in and give out at the same moment. It's just smart to learn, at least when the person who's going to minister to you gets to you, to be quiet. Because sometimes some of us may have a word. You know, I lost a whole congregation one day because there was a bunch of pastors and their wives lined up. And pastor wife was just out of control, crying, snot and everything. You know, and I felt for her, bless her heart. And I told the interpreter, tell her to be quiet a minute. He just, I said, tell her to be quiet. I'm not pointing to you, but and, and I think he's intimidated. So I had to. I didn't have a choice. I'd do this with you. I won't hurt you. I grabbed her by her shoulders and shook her until she looked at me. I said, stop it. I said, what if I had a word to give you in your ear and you're screaming and crying that could help you get this turned around and you're so loud I'd have to practically slap you to get you to be quiet? I'm not going to slap you. Just... And then, you know, because at first when I said that, be quiet, she's a pastor's wife, the whole congregation were mad, looking at me like, we'd like to kill you right now. Okay. I said, no, I'm not trying to hurt people's feelings. I'm trying to get them to be a better receiver. That's all I'm saying. And if I had something, I've got to fight through all the noise and chatter because the person is practically screaming in prayer. You know, the Bible said pray in tongues, not scream in tongues. I'm not going to use you anymore, but thank you for staying there. (laughs) Hallelujah. Pastors, can I pray for you? I'm going to pray for your pastors real quick if I could do that. I asked them if I could do that last night and their son here. Hallelujah. Father, we thank you for this wonderful God-given ministry. Thank you for the pastors. Their their, uh, friendship has been such a refreshing to me and Sean. We don't, we don't really know them, but we do know them because we've been around them now for several days. Their heart for you, their heart for other preachers, and their heart for this church. And we thank you that anointing is going to continue to grow and ramp up. And I just pray now for Pastor Doug to come into the next level you have for him, Father, in the name of Jesus, in that pastor's ministry. And pray for Josiah that he'll come on up into the next level you have. He's a dedicated young man. 
And he's a great musician, but not only that, there's other things you have for him to do in the body of Christ. May he respond, and may it be a wonderful response in Jesus' name. And for Pastor here, we thank you for her, her sensitivity to ask us to come. We're so grateful to know her and Pastor Doug and uh, her son here. And we just pray a fresh anointing on her to fulfill all that you put in her, Father, and go into the next level of what you have for them in this church, in the vision of the church, and how to do that, all that's involved with that, Father. We thank you. We thank you for it. And, and I feel led to say something to you, Fiona, about some gifts of the Spirit. I don't know which they are, but something that you haven't operated in a whole lot yet, but you're going to begin to. Power of God's going to come on your lips, and you're going to begin to give some words and different words of knowledge or different things in the healing ministry too, in the name of Jesus. And if that bears bears to your spirit, bears witness, then take it. But if not, just put it on the side. Thank you, Father, for them. Thank you for this church. Thank you for the reception of the people towards me and Sean to come and be a, a just a you know a help to them right now at this moment. We're thankful for being here. Thank you for everybody that's come. In Jesus' name, Amen. All right, I'm I'm through. Thank you. Okay. Someone say praise the Lord. <laughs> you know we have a good God, and He wants to help people. And He helps us with angels. He helps us with His Word. He helps us with His name. He helps us with ministry gifts. Amen. He helps us with the Holy Spirit. I mean, he's got multiple, multiple ways that he can help us. I just want to believe his help. I want to receive his help. And I want to cooperate with his help. However he wants to do it. Amen. Hallelujah. Don't forget, if you want to designate a gift for Dr. Jacobs, do so in your giving. And we just bless you, Father. I just... Pray your blessing over these people, Father. Lord, you, you cause your face to shine upon them. You are gracious to them, Lord, and you bless them indeed and give them peace, Father. And I just thank you for that in Jesus' name. And everybody said, Amen. Amen. Have a great and wonderful uh, day and a good week. God bless you.